I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that I am located in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I am privileged and honoured to live and learn on the unceded, unsurrendered territory of the Anishinaabe Algonquin Nation. Hello, you're listening to Trench Leadership, a podcast from the front, produced by iGlen Studios, a show for emerging leaders from all professions. To hear from other leaders who have led from the front, made the mistakes, had the triumphs, and are still learning along the way. And now, here's your host, Simon Cardinal. And welcome back. So here we are at part two, episode 69 of this great conversation we've been having with just an amazing group of people. And I'm so very fortunate to continue this deep and impactful conversation that we've been having so far. So I hope wherever you are, you're able to sit back and enjoy more of what we've been talking about. Uh, before we get right into Andrew's story, I do, I would just like to take one quick second. I promise to thank everyone for this time. This has been fantastic and, and far richer and deeper and impactful and insightful than I could have ever hoped for. So thank you so much for, for being so brave, honestly, to tell people what we're thinking and go from there. So, you know, we deal with imposter syndrome. I'm actually writing a blog about it actually today. Um, and I keep having to fight back against it, but it's very hard to get those voices to stop. You know what I mean? So I, I totally get it. Uh, the, the imposter syndrome for me, I, I, I'd heard about it. I'd heard the term and whatnot, but it never took reared its face harder and more powerful when I understood it. than when I went to go do the, so my master's degree is a blended between it's a blend between online and then two, two week residential sections done one in each of the years. So I went to go do the first residential portion in Victoria and I had convinced myself so thoroughly that I did not deserve to be there for a whole string of reasons that were completely unfounded other than I decided they were true, that I, I beat my immune system up so much that I gave myself the common cold. So, uh, <laughs> like it, 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 it and I, and I truly believe that imposter syndrome never goes away. It's all in how we choose to live within it. Uh, it's always there it, It's some fashion something will make it flare up for me. It's, it's, if I'm talking to someone and and they, they give me a look or like a kind of a, a quizzical look when I'm explaining something that, that, that triggers me instantly. Okay. What I'm saying is stupid and I need to be quiet. It's everyone's different. Anyways, that's my ramp. <laughs> I don't want to, there's also a, a recognition in my brain. I don't want to drown out the voices of the women involved as well. And so that's just, it's also me trying to make sure I'm being respectful because too many times men don't take into consideration the need for respecting a woman's voice. And so that's the other thing that in my head kind of runs. And that one I actually want to respect because it does help me a little bit. So anyways. Yeah. I love that you named that. Thank you. Um, it's just, it's such an interesting thing. I'm a blurter. And then over the years, kind of like you, Shane, I've, I've stopped speaking out because I don't know. And so then I tend to stay quiet even when I have the thoughts and, uh, the other piece about imposter syndrome, working as a coach here, like every single one of my clients, every single one of us, we've all got it. And it's just, it's so boring once you start hearing it again and again and again. And it's like, it's it's completely real, million percent getting on this call when we were doing uh, our pre-chat a few weeks ago. It's like, oh my God, why am I in this room of these incredible people, right? Yeah, relatable. We're all kind of nodding. And it, 
And so in all of these contexts, it comes up for all of us. And so again, it's just learning to live with it and just showing up anyways. And and then I think Liz said, or Dr. Liz said something about um, like bringing our magic to it in the context of the money versus impact and client piece. And it's just, you just have to show up authentically and, and trust that your people um, will find you. Um, but it's such a big learning and certainly a journey that I'm right in the middle of right now. I totally understand where you're coming from in that, that journey aspect and, and living with it, you know, understanding yeah. it's there. It's, it's like other things. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that, Andrea, this seems like a good time for you to share your story. Let's do that. Great. Okay. So um, taking us back into that uh, failure as a leader piece, I'm also going to go back to, I mean, there's been a million, but going to go back to kind of early in my career. So I had the opportunity, similarly to Shane, of being a people manager uh, at 23. And so I'd, I'd worked a number of customer service jobs at this point um, and been kind of informally in leadership roles in different capacities, but never formally and never in a professional role. And so for context, I was uh, new into a large fundraising organization and we were just coming into our annual fall campaign. I had started with the organization in May. In early uh, August, somebody had quit and I got a second portfolio and then campaign kicks off mid-August. So a couple hundred accounts, $5 million annual giving portfolio. And all of a sudden I've got a staff team. So I'm just learning these accounts and what the expectations are on my role. And now I've got the largest team in the organization of seven secondees, brilliant people coming to support us to bring in these uh, these dollars and this impact for our community. So I've got a team of seven, the youngest of whom is 10 years older than me, and the oldest of whom is 69 and a retired police officer and then sheriff. Um, and within that group, I've got an engineer, I've got a woman who works for a federal agency, um, I've got a banking manager, everybody's management at different levels and cue the imposter syndrome that we were just talking about. And so it's a, it's a small but mighty example and I'm all about small but mighty examples. So the, the example is, um, or the scenario is that for these first couple of weeks, we're kicking off all of these various fundraising campaigns with all of the different accounts. And there's a lot of intro meetings. And I need to be in the first couple to model what the conversation looks like with all of these new staff members. And so my weeks had literally between 40 and 50 meetings in them, um, which is a which is a lot of meetings. And then my office is situated uh, through a kind of open air bullpen where these 30 new staff are working. And so in the teeny amount of time that I have um, to get some work done, and this, this is the old days, so I had a BlackBerry, but reporting need to be, needed to be done off of my desktop, I would beeline through this bullpen to get to my office for the 10 minutes of time that I needed to do some of the other aspects of my job. And inevitably, when I would say hi to my team, which were all kind of clustered, um, somebody would have a question. And then the one question is, oh, just a sec, I've got, an, I've got a question. And so everybody has a question. And it would take that whole 10 minutes, it would evaporate between uh, my next meeting. And so I started either pretending to walk through the bullpen on a fake phone call. So I'd hold my phone up to my ear and pretend to be talking to somebody so that I wouldn't have to acknowledge, or I'd take the like long way around and completely avoid eye contact and, and hide from my team, basically. And so I did this and I thought I was being discreet and like, whatever. And I was balancing my own needs 
or what I thought were my needs in, in doing this. Ultimately, um, I don't know how long after a week or so, um, one of my colleagues who was the engineer was there at the end of the day. And she's like, one, you're working too hard. This is kind of ridiculous, the pace that you're setting and the example that you're setting. And she's coming from a wealth of experience, seeing me on a burnout track. But two, she said, you ignore us every time you come through. And I'm just letting you know, like kindly, but it's pretty shitty. I'm like, what? Like, it doesn't feel good. And we've all been talking about it. So just letting you know. And I reflected on it. It was really, it, it sounds small, but it was really hard feedback to receive. I've always been super people oriented and I didn't know that the team was picking up on my behaviors. And I had a really clear rationale in my mind for why I was doing it. So the lessons or the insights that came from this around leadership specifically was that there's such a shift, and I see this in clients as well. I work with a lot of um, folks now who are emerging leaders in their first leadership management um, director level position. The shift between being a rock star individual contributor and being a manager slash leader and balancing the priority of your job that you have with the team. And so the flip, we were talking about servant leadership earlier, that success in that role was success in enabling a team and through that, being able to accomplish my priorities. Um, and then the other one, kind of huge recognition on just how your actions are perceived by others um, and being really aware of how you're demonstrating and modeling leadership um, as you go through. And then ultimately, the solution that we came to in talking it out, I was like, well, here are the constraints that I'm dealing with. I have this limited time. And then we kind of came up with a very easy in retrospect solution that led me to realize just how much control we have over our environments and our work structures as well when we take the time to kind of apply. So the, the insight was that, oh, between the hours of say 7.30 and two, everything is go, go, go. But I've got a lot of time at the end of the day. And so if there's any kind of hair on fire situations, absolutely team, like flag me down, get a hold of me, we'll deal with them in the moment. If there's anything that can wait, we can do it after two. And so I started having these office hours and the speaking about the constraints was really helpful. And then speaking about like what a shared solution could be was really helpful as well. And once we corrected that, the whole team dynamic changed. I was able to get kind of my needs met and like calm some of the chaos of my days. Um, and the, the lessons of that small example have really, really stuck with me as, as I've carried through my career. Um, and so just wanted to share that as a, as a failure of just being attentive to my team and, um, and how I've learned from that. And it's an interesting part with that, that intention is, is critical. If your team members don't understand or feel that that attention is being pushed on them or not pushed on, that's the wrong term to use, but that attention isn't being given to them. It will, you, that there are many, many side effects to that. So Shane, I saw you had your hand up and, and Mahatma, I saw you moving your hands around. So I feel as though you also have a point for that. So you can go after Shane. So I was a project manager for Cisco systems, the, you know, huge electronics, um, uh, corporation. And I was working on a $20 million project with them. And I was one of the middle project managers directly underneath the program director. And I was actually also really sick. In 2016, I had a mental breakdown. And here we are, 2017, 2018, I was ignoring my body. Mm -hmm. And I was forcing myself to, to work. And I started struggling. I started having a lot of issues. And the manager had brought in a number of people 
that we all recognize were some sort of neurodivergence. And when we started struggling, I had to really kind of reevaluate my working style. And what I really discovered was I needed support from a couple of people to be in the room with me, but not in an office cubicle space. I needed body doubles who would work with me and shut the fuck up. I just like, I needed silence and, and, and quiet work, but I needed somebody that when, you know, if, if one of us had an idea or a question or something like that, we could look up and like, Hey, y'all got space. Yeah, we've got space. Cool. I have this idea. Can we do this? Can we look at this? Can we look at this? And having that team atmosphere, but without having a lot of people really like piling around me, the sensory issues that I was dealing with were, were easier, easier to manage. By the way, Cisco took uh, all of the different accommodations that I realized I needed and put all of them in place and never asked questions. They never made me feel bad about it, nor shame. So huge mm -hmm. props to Cisco. But another thing was restructuring how much time and how I measured time throughout the day of productivity. And that's when I discovered a thing called Pomodoro Technique. And I imagine a few people understand and know what that is. And But mm -hmm. for the people who are listening, it's you essentially take two-hour blocks and you break it down and do 25 minutes of where you're working, five minutes where you rest, 25 minutes of working, five minutes of rest. And you very intentionally go through a task list that you have and you focus on those things and you don't measure finishing the task you measure working through the time and the reason why this is so important especially for people with adhd is sometimes we get distracted by a thing however even if we get distracted for 25 minutes when the alarm goes off we can reset and go back to doing the work that we're supposed to be doing and so we don't lose four hours on facebook because we got one message at 8 a.m we lose 25 minutes at the worst and having that point of intentionally resting every 25 minutes really revved me up to be able to keep going. And having the alarm go off broke up my time blindness so I didn't get too wrapped up in this one thing that I was working on. And so as people, we have to take time to really understand how we work, not just ourselves but within a group atmosphere and and within a team and how much time can you handle being around people right because extroverts are yay but if you're an introvert you're like i'm absorb i'm absorbing too much energy from you i have to go hide and uh, hide and sleep and you know <laughs> ironically enough i'm on both sides of that sometimes I'm like, yeah, people are around me. And sometimes I'm like, oh, please, all people just not be near me at all. Don't touch me. Don't talk to me. And so, uh, you know, and so, but just to be able to recognize that was important and being able to recognize that, you know, different people need different things in different environments. And to what Andrea was talking about, just taking time to understand that and really put it into your life. And again, not just professionally, but personally as well. That intention, yeah. There's a whole lot of head nodding going on here. So, uh, Mahatma, your turn first, and then Hannah, I see your head is your hand is up. Yeah, you know, being able to capitalize on our productivity is everything, and uh, it, it made me think of you know our cell phones, you know. Just because I pay my bill does not mean I'm available to you 24 <laughs> seven. Like, 
being able to have shutdown times, it, it, there's, it makes a difference between either you're going to have a successful day or, or, an, or, an, or a failure filled day, you know, and being with the conception of, okay, I'm going to do some office hours. Like I really, um, I'm really like, like, like just letting that seep in to like, how can I like, like really, really introduce that because a lot of times, you know, as a business, we'll sit there and we'll put our office hours for the website. And at the end of the day, I'm not really available all of that time, you know, for people to just plug in on me. And so being able to have, you know, levels and tiers of, you know, this is my core stuff that I have to situate and I have to give it a president. And I, and the best way that my team can support me is, is being able to identify when is the best time to talk, you know, and the longer that we go with having people in our circumference, that's not going to seek their own leadership. You know, that's, that's like, you know, an epitome of failing, 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 failing. So I really like, you know, bringing that part of, of like, just our productivity matters more and being able to micromanage it to where it makes sense is necessary. And if we don't allow people to speak to us and tell us like, you know, I feel like you're failing a little bit, people get really touchy, you know, and it, it's, we're coming into this place of where vulnerability is no longer seen as a weakness and uh, vulnerability is actually being seen as something that needs to be supported, you know, and when we support our ability to see, like, am I an introvert? Like, be really honest. Am I introverted? Am I necessarily running away from people when I should be, you know, coming to them or vice versa? Am I extroverted? Am I giving too much energy to these people that I'm not being productive enough? And ironically, this morning, I think it was this morning, I love watching little reels. Someone was posting, it's a new term now, omnivert, right? And so instead of saying I'm an intro, outro, I'm just omnivert, you know, and being able to go with that flow and understanding there could be a length of time I'm going to be out of connection. And then there's going to be a length of time when I'm going to be in it and, and being able to be transparent with others and tell them like, look, I need to be introverted at this moment. That is, gives us more steps to success and and less infringements of our failures. Well, I think I think there's a lot in that omnivert thing, uh, omnivert uh, phrase that you spoke about because I had actually written down a note saying so I I, I did a, a podcast series and it was about all of these uh, the the popular strength-based leadership assessments and uh, four I, I did six of them. And so what I did was as I went through all of those, I had uh, certain things popped up and all of them, I turned out that I'm extroverted in my nature. And uh, one of those sentences comes up really strong in my mind. Simon is a pragmatic leader. Uh, Those things were common threads. But the one of the things that I kept coming back to is that sometimes more often than not, I think I do feel that extroverted sense, but quite often at the end of the day, or sometimes in the middle of the day, when I've reached that saturation point, I shift to inverted. I don't want to talk to people. I don't want to, I don't even want to have a conversation of how was your day? I'm not talking. (laughs) And and there, there's that shift, right? And it doesn't mean that I'm no longer extroverted. It just means that this is where I'm at at this point in my time or my day or whatnot. It's peaks and valleys. 
And it comes back to that balance, understanding when that needs to go. I, uh, someone has mentioned, uh, so, so Shane, you spoke about to be productive, you must include rest so that you're able to maintain productivity and prevent burnout, which comes back to balance, I feel. And another term is ambivert. And is it the same as introvertly extroverted? Exactly. I literally, and Shane says, I literally ride the middle line of INTJ and ENTJ. So that is the Myers, Myers-Briggs uh, four-letter system. Uh, I am ESTJ and not a lot of people tend to be that, that particular one. And I ride hard on some of the letters, but the other ones I'm in that 54 percentile. So it, it, it's in that significant gray block. Um, yeah. Anyways, that's my thought on that. So thank you very much for that. Does anyone have any thoughts before we go into our final story with my, Oh, Hannah, you've got your hand up there. Sorry. I do see that there. Sorry. My bad. My bad. I apologize. Thanks. Um, there are, there are three sort of themes that, that I picked up really strongly from Andrea's story and, and of, and as, as we said, weaving in everybody's experiences, I, I guess. And that is, and this is something I always believe in to be an effective leader. You need to effectively lead yourself. And to do so requires a great deal of internal auditing, right? And we, we've been going through that. And so this, 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 this concept of reflection, this concept of self-questioning, this concept of what is true to me and, and why am I behaving in a certain way? So, so when Andrea found herself that she would be doing all of these hideouts or detours or getting on the phone, it's like in this moment that we're identifying like, okay, this is, I'm not, this is not normal behavior. I'm avoiding or I'm, you know, whatever. Um, and I'm sure we all have, can relate and resonate to these stories in many ways. <laughs> the other the other theme um, that leads on to this is the importance of boundaries. We have, a, there's, there's a misconception that boundaries is um, restricted or, or lack or, or um, boundaried, like there's a wall, right? But I, but I really feel that um, well-intentioned boundaries are there to benefit everyone involved. And Andrea gave a beautiful example of how that's improved then the communication, how that improved the productivity of, of her team. And something that came up for me as well that is linking to this servant leadership idea um, where you want to serve, you want to serve others. And for me, there was a fine line in my experience as I was building teams in my early 20s as well. So I didn't have the formal training to be doing so. It was just a role that I naturally got into. Um, started when I was 18, actually, and into my early 20s was that a part of me was doing it in a way to people please and or um look at me, look at all of the good I'm doing, therefore I should be rewarded, right? So again, intentionality. So had I had that self-awareness at that age, um, then things would have been very different and I wouldn't have backlashed (laughs) at the company saying, oh my God, like no one respects me. I do all of these things for my team. I always put them first. (laughs) Um, And it would have been yeah, very, very, a very different experience, I think, for myself and for my team. Another failure there, if you want to <laughs> look at it. Yeah, absolutely. Andrea says in the chat room, what a beautiful summary, Hannah. Thank you all for elevating our anecdotes and pulling out the threads. Shane, you have a point. I want to kind of tie into what Hannah just said. And ironically enough, I just did a TikTok on it yesterday. You know, in our men's ADHD support group, we, you know, the leader dropped a, uh, a TikTok on boundaries, right? And one of the comments was uh, from a, uh, a lady who said, 
how do I put in a place, uh, put in place a boundary where I'm not talking so much? And I, it struck me that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what a boundary is. And Hannah touched on it. Uh, a boundary isn't meant to harm the people involved in it, right? It's to protect them. And so we should not ever be putting in boundaries where we are harming ourselves to please or to benefit others at the cost of who we are, inherently who we are. Like if you have ADHD, we talk a lot, right? We have to talk a lot because our brains work so fast that if we don't, we will lose the train of thought. And I've actually seen it a couple of times in here where we lose the train of thought and we forget the part that we were going to say. So we speak up really fast to get everything out as fast as we possibly can get. And then we have the point out there and then we feel better because we at least didn't forget about what we wanted to say. It's very important to say the things that are in our minds. And for example, I just did it for y'all uh, out there. So boundaries don't harm the people involved. Boundaries protect the people involved. If your boundary comes at the cost of yourself or others, then and a malicious cost to others, then you you need to reevaluate whether or not that boundary is a healthy addition to your life. Thank you very much for that, uh, Andrea. I see your hand is up. Yeah, I think that piece about boundaries is just such an important one and something that we all learn in our evolution as leaders. Um, wanted to offer another kind of takeaway that I that I had, I had the privilege of uh, listening to Carlisle Singer, who's the COO of an organization called Acumen, uh, which does lots of great work uh, around so social enterprise and impact investing. And what I took from this conversation a number of years ago, she said, structure frees people. And so having those boundaries, when you know what lane you're in, where your influence extends to, you can get really creative and pull your problem solving into it and create impact within that. But it's when we don't understand our parameters, our boundaries, our, our roles, that a lot of confusion can happen. And so it's Brene Brown as well, like clear as kind. It's hard, I think, a lot for us as women and as uh, people pleasers, to use another word that Hannah shared earlier, to get comfortable with asserting um, and be confident enough to assert and create boundaries and then hold them um, for ourselves and for others. But once we do, it unlocks so much um, for ourselves and for our teams and um, yeah, both personally and professionally. Oh, oh and the one other thing, <laughs> speaking of ADHD, oh, it's all uh, yeah, uh, where were you in my life, Shane, in, uh, in my 20s and 30s? Like a lot of women, I was late diagnosed with ADHD and attentive just in the last couple of years here in my mid-30s. And it's so funny how you can directly see this, uh, this focus and inattention and the need for like all of it. I, if I would have known, um, I would have started doing some of these pieces around creating structures to support myself and my brain uh, so much earlier, but better late than never. And so here we are. Yeah. You know, just to, you know, add on that, the, that note um, and, you know, something that was brought up when Dr. Liz was here and she was speaking about disorder. And I had wrote down this quote um, that was saying, you know, disorder doesn't mean failure. However, allowing ourselves to stay in disorder is what creates failure filled lessons. And so we have to be, be willing to understand that if we're going to step into this boat of I'm going to stay in this disorder for forever, 
we're going to keep on seeing how disorder creates failure in our life. And we have to understand that there's more optimal ways to learn lessons than staying in disorder or disbelief. And um, just like with us playing with like these word plays of like being omnipresent or ambient, um, not not omnipresent, um, uh, omniverted or um, ambient verted, you know, understanding that we're coming into this place. So we're learning to conceptualize what has been brought forward for us and what we do with that, how we marry that into our reality um, is just it's starting to shape and illuminate new constructs for us to share. You know, I don't have to leave out the things that maybe make me feel on balance, but I can bring it to the table and see how it can become more relevant and support the the entirety of the group and not just myself. Thank you so much for that. Shane, I see your hand is up. So I was taking time to process what uh, Andrea was saying and it reminded me of something that happened to me fairly early on in my, in my business, because, you know, you getting into my own business, what like, you know, back in 2018, 2019, after I healed, wasn't the first time I tried to get into things like public speaking and, and doing things of that nature. One of the things that happened to me early on was I, I went to, I was offered a, a chance to be a public speaker at a conference for mental health. And whenever I went there, took my fidget. Actually, I was using a fidget cube, right? And I also have fidget rings where I can kind of spin them. And these are really needed for me because, again, I said this earlier, and my default mode network is really active. When you have ADHD, default mode network is the daydreamy, wandering mind and all of that stuff. And the task management system is the laser focus. I'm going to finish this task. However... For ADHD people, they're always activated. For neurotypical people, one is on, one is off. So neurotypical people have a laser, whereas people with ADHD have a shotgun blast. We see everything around us. Everything distracts us. So having something like this allows me to focus on what I want to say in a coherent manner. Long story, sorry, explanation. When I went to the conference and I, I went in there and I had the cube in my hand and I was talking to the guy and he was like, um, you know, you, you can't take that on stage. And I said, uh, why? And he's like, oh, because it's too distracting. I said, that's the point. And I explained to him what I just explained to y'all. And he said, that's not going to be acceptable. I said, look, if I, if I don't take this up there, I'm going to sit here and spend 20, the 25 minutes that you want me up there rambling and losing my mind because I can't pay attention to what I'm trying to say, because there's too many people in the crowd. I'm going to hear somebody laughing at me. I'm going to like smell the smells, all the sensory things that I get from my freaking autism. And I'm going to, I'm going to lose my mind. And he was like, you can't do that. And I, and I, I put in place a boundary. I said, look, if I can't do this, this integral part of who I am, then I can't do the speech. And he said, then you can't do the speech. And I had to walk away from $2,500, you know, and not only that, I had to, pay, I had to, I, had, I now had to pay them back for the, uh, for the cost of travel, just because I wasn't, they weren't able to respect the boundary that I needed. Has this distracted anybody while I've been doing it? Right now, when I go to a thing, I intentionally have set down the expectation before I set up anything. I will have some sort of fidget thing on my fingers and I will use it as a part of my speech to explain to people the kind of accommodations people with, who are neurodivergent may need. 
and they need to respect this and they need to learn about it. And this is part of my education for people to know. So boundaries, they're not just there to protect us. They're there to protect y'all. So I am stunned. Honestly, just stunned. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know what to say there. I, I'm, I'm just stunned. <laughs> Does anyone have any thoughts I'm, on that? My job is done. I'm going to walk away from that one mic drop. No. <laughs> Magic. And just how powerful to stand in those boundaries in that moment and walk away from something that was clearly not aligned um, and at financial cost to yourself. And I'm just, I'm so sure that by sharing the story, I don't know how many years ago that was, but that you've called in so many other public speaking and leadership opportunities for people being like, yes, I need that guy on my stage. And so it's paid off through you living your your values there with the purple hair thing, going back to the start of the conversation. I, I just ditched the purple hair before I started that job. And didn't have it like the purple streak and didn't have it for the entire year and a half that I was with this organization. And it was small, but super powerful. Like I changed who I was like, how, how absolutely ridiculous is that? And now my hair is completely different, but I would never do something like that. Like that was a line that I won't cross again. Um, and so I just, I love that example. Thank you so much for that. Hannah says mic drop and, and Mahatma says, kudos to you. This is what I call dropping the mask. So this is fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and with that, I think we will transition into the final uh, leadership fail story, which with Mahama. Okay. This is, um, you know, one of the things that I share with my clients all the time. I am more uh, than a coach. I'm, I'm an example. I am a community motivator. And when I created Elite Motivation, I had this idea that I was like, I want to walk into my business the way I want to walk into it. I don't want to walk in it the way that anybody thinks that I should walk into it. And to give you a little bit of context of like what was pulling me to say this and the creation of Elite Motivation was I create, it was my second business that I was attempting to to open up into. And so my first business when I created JDL Enterprises, it was through um, the support of another already established business owner that was doing a lot of um, musical recordings management. And they were willing to take me under their wing and and give me clients, give me revenue, give me business. And one of the first clients that was given to me was just not in alignment with how I wanted to appear in business. Uh, you know, the, the music that was given to me was garbage, absolutely garbage. And so when you get met with this, uh, you have to be really realistic and say to the person, like, listen, I've listened to this. I've let other people listen to this to make sure I'm not being unbiased. I'm, I can't support this because I was going to help the person share their information out into the radio worlds, you know? So I'm going to be calling up DJs and um, asking them, Hey, can you play this music? And essentially, you know, this was going to be on, on me. Um, so I, I told the lady, I was like, listen, I'm, I can't have this as a part of my first, initiation into radio 
like sponsorship and I had to give her her money back. I, I hadn't even like, like cashed in her check or anything. Uh, Cause I was like, I, I need to see where this is going and, and people will pay you like no problem for you to push their business uh, in, in, in the music world. So fast forward to when I'm creating elite motivation, I was like, I want to step into this the way I want to step into it because Previously, the person was like, yeah, just do it. Just push it. You know, here she is. This, bah, bah. And I was like, I'm not resonating with this. I, I, I don't see follow through. So I, I had to release that. And JDL went um, to sleep for a little bit. JDL is coming back out um, with a whole new way of being able to engage and support the community. Uh, and so being able to see how to be an elite motivation I was allowing myself to be not just a business, but the example of like, how can I walk into my business effortlessly? How can I expose myself to my business and be in business at the same time? And at the same time, I was opening up into a new relationship and I was offering myself everything that I thought I did not need, um, which was like unity, a partner and so I was like opening up into this. I was also opening up into being authentic and like walking into accepting this. And very quickly, I realized that my conversation was not where it needed to be in order to actually be in union with another person. And I was attempting to just walk into this relationship. You know, each other's promises got us so excited that things broke off very quickly. And at that point, I was saying to myself, is this when the work is happening? And so just to give you more context of what work it really was to be elite motivation, to be a mentor, I was looking to be a mentor to set an example for how people can live authentically in their shell. And so for, for me, not realizing what parts I was adapting to that wasn't so much authentic for my shell it was exposing itself in my relationship. And I'm over here like, but I'm, I'm just trying to be in a relationship and do my work over here. And my guidance was like, no, 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 no. These go together. And I'm like, so livid. I'm like, I just want to be in a relationship. I just want to succeed in this. I know I can succeed here. And, you know, that relationship really like dismantled and diminished, diminished within the year. But it still was something that I was able to hold on to um, over time. And now I use it to share it with my clients so that they can see what unleveling happens when they want to unmask themselves, when they want to show themselves their authenticity and what it looks like showing up every single day authentically in your own sound. And that completely transformed what even failure looked like to me because I was so hard on myself. Um, I felt like I was just being too much in my masculine energy, which I was, I was being very too much, but I, but then I went and put more guilt on myself for being too much. And then I stayed away from the relationship and just completely ghosted the person for months until I finally came back and was like, you know what, this is not cool. You know, this was a really good divine connection. And I owe it to myself to know that I can still reconcile this, however it needs to get reconciled. 
And how I use that now is like, I help people see that, okay, these failures are going to happen, but let me help you through this failure quickly. Let's not make it a year and a half episode and let's just make it like seven days. Like seven days is so much more painless (laughs) than a year and a half. And so being able to expose that I'm consistently always being put in this place to grow. So confronting my failure is something that I am resting in and sitting in all of the time. And I'm immediately looking to see how I can amplify that. And, and like, so like being the last one to share my story, listening to everyone says, it's just so relevant to my story and why I felt like I should share it at the end, because, you know, having all of these different performance anxieties, having all of these different um, ways to expose ourselves is, is what we a lot get caught up on. And a lot of us think that we can separate our business with our personal. And, you know, some people out there, they're doing really good with their math game. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But at the end of the day, there has to be some fusion that's going to be met. And that's what I am um, always looking to be a part of. So when people ask me, what do I struggle with? I tell them I struggle every day because I'm not going to stop thinking that it's going to go away. So that's a little bit of, of my share. Thank you so much for that. Does anyone have any thoughts at all? Oh, Hannah, I, I see I see you going first, and then we'll go with Andrea. I'm formulating my ideas around what you've been saying. Um, because I always believe that um I always believe that the way we lead ourselves and our business behind the scenes, more importantly, is the way we lead ourselves in other areas of life. And you mentioned some really good examples, and I've found a lot of correlation actually between the dynamics of um, receiving love and receiving money. Ultimately, the vehicles are one, the vehicle is the business. The other one, the vehicle is the relationship. And and I, I, I just see this unfolding in my own life as I keep on exploring deeper levels of my, my own, my own journey with, with these areas, both in my relationships um, and particularly in my marriage, as well as with the way I'm leading myself or what's happening behind the scenes in my business, the way I'm feeling behind the scenes in, in my business. Um, and so this, your story really just gave me a, another sort of um, eye opener. And ultimately we are the same person. You can't separate the person. You can't separate the values. The values that you're bringing into your business, the values bringing into your relationship are the same. Thanks so, so much thank for you that. For sharing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Mahatma. There was a line, I'm sure some of uh, the folks listening are familiar with it, but uh, Glennon Doyle's Untamed book that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, and the line is, integrity means having only oneself. And that really, really connected with me. And I kind of went on, like so many of us, uh, a huge pandemic, let's reimagine my life. And so I moved cities and I switched careers and and I started a different type of relationship that's been absolutely wonderful. And it's just, it's that integration. And I think that that's really such a big theme in the authenticity piece. For so many years, I'd lived in, here's my personal life and I'm a bit of a mess and I have wonderful like interpersonal relationships. And then here's my professional self where I dress up in a pencil skirt and some heels and I try to be this polished professional quote unquote person. Um, but there was just such a disconnect in like how I showed up in these different environments. And, and so I really think that the journey is kind of coming to that integration place of 
how we how we are in one sphere is how we show up in another. And so the behind the scenes of our business, the forward scenes of our businesses um, and our, our personal lives. And it's just, it's too hard. Also going back to that masking piece, it's too hard to keep these things separate because then you're always playing a role and we just, we get this one life and we are who we are. And so it's so much easier to come from this place of, like here's all that I am and there's and there's brilliance and competence and there's also messiness and and it's that inter- intersectionality I think that makes us all interesting and compelling as humans um, and perfection is just such a total myth as well so thank you for sharing Mahatma and Hannah thank you so much yeah. for that Shane do you have any thoughts yeah like I, I think that's the biggest struggle people have is that authenticity and really I can't tell you how long I struggled just to figure out who I was, right? Um, I harp on this a lot, but whenever we deal with ADHD, one of the parts of the brain that are affected is our metacognition, our self-awareness to who, what, when, where, why, and uh, how of the world around us. And very few of us live in an environment as we're growing up where people get that and spend time to actually explain that to us, right? explain ourselves to us in a way where we learn how to critically think about who we are and how to limit the negativity that we're inherently getting. We're hard to parent, right? We're difficult to parent. Let's be very realistic about that. If you don't have any experience, it's very difficult to parent us. But as we kind of need to understand, and as a a father of a 19-year-old, a 16-year-old, and twin toddlers... I've had to evolve my parenting to where I understand that the biggest gift I can give my kids is to teach them to be authentically who they are and then how to do that. And to, you know, not just teach them how to do it, but like when it's appropriate, where they should be this, you know, why they should be this, the importance of what you know, they need to put in their lives to make sure that they're able to attain this and keep moving forward. And I think that's what I really want them to understand. And I think teaching them the critical thinking skills that I never learned, teaching them the acceptance and love and 100% support and whatever that they want to do, as long as it's not horseback riding, which is horrifyingly expensive. Um, But, you know, as long as I'm teaching them to follow their passions and their dreams and do the things that they want to do while giving them that same structure that they that I needed as a kid, I think if I can just give them that, I will see my children grow up to be happy. And uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk sits here and says, uh, says this, too many people are too worried about getting to be to make a billion dollars. that's their goal is a billion dollars. But what we really should be trying to attain is waking up in the morning happy and content with the lives that we have. I'm paraphrasing him, but anyways, that's what he says. And I, and I, that's really struck with me. And I, and I look at my kids and I'm like, if you wake up happy and content with your life, I will die a happy person. Well, thank you so much for that, Shane. And I appreciate that. Mahatma, it looks like you had something to say. Yeah, you know, uh, it's definitely a big challenge for us to see, like, how can we help each other keep being authentic? And uh, the the common thing is picking up these masks. And how can we accept that we're going to be picking up masks on a daily basis? And um, 
And because of that, how can I help a piece of my mask remain authentic as it can be so I don't get confused in between the roles that I play? And um, often, very oftentimes, the, the role of a person that steps into the coaching world is definitely bombarded completely at the beginning to like, I've got to set some really, really good boundaries and standards to even be able to show up for my clients on a consistent basis. And then uh, understanding like, you know, the, there is purpose of having like that niche. And sometimes there's purpose of changing your niche, because if we get too stuck in a niche, we'll just get really good with that one mask and not understand that it needs to shift in some way, shape or form. And so when I stepped into becoming a health coach, a life coach, um, it really woken me up to understanding that, you know, coaching is something that everybody needs even a coach, like there's not a, a year that has gone by since I've gotten this mindfulness boundary setting that I don't go without looking for someone else to listen to what I'm going through and help me see where my next best step is. Because like we're saying, failure is inevitable, but how can I support myself and instill support modules along the way to keep refining this. And at the end of the day, it really goes back to this authenticity bubble. And I have found that the only way I'm going to be able to help individuals in my mindfulness setting is by being so transparent and being willing to tell them like, look, this is where I fucked up at. This is how I fucked up and I hate it, but I've taken it and looked at it and scrutinized it and dissected it. And now I'm putting it in front of you so that you can see it before it becomes catastrophic in your world, before that trauma really sets in so that you can reap from these lessons because tomorrow there's going to be more. So <laughs> we need to keep just being authentic with ourselves and finding that, um, that verse that helps us to keep ringing in. Is this authentic enough? I failed today, but did I fail in my authenticity is the question, you know? And so like, this has been a great, great, you know, framing of being able to see like, we're all going to be pitted in different places and different scenarios. However, your presentation of, of your authentic scenario is what's going to help someone else. And, and not your delusion of your scenario. When you said, did I fail in my authenticity? There was some vigorous head nodding from all of the, all of the group. Uh, so, and so folks, this has been just fantastic. We have talked a lot about how our failures have helped each of us grow and how we've been able to hopefully push, pull, or drag the cultures within our own professions to move forward. And so with that, I'd like to shift to discussing final thoughts. And now if anyone else wants to reach out to any of these esteemed guests, offer up some contact details. So with that, I'd like to start with Andrea. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Simon. What a rich conversation this has been. Just such a gift uh, to explore leadership and, and the very evolved conversation that we had from it, starting from a point of, of failure and how, how far we've come. Um, in preparation for this uh, conversation. I looked up the actual definition of leadership because it's something that I'm trained as a leadership coach and sometimes it feels authentic and sometimes it doesn't to speak about leadership based on the experiences that I have. So leadership as defined by Oxford was the action of leading uh, a group of people or an organization 
simply uh, defined as that. There's no kind of inherent value or characteristics of leadership. And so I think as we've been talking about our various leadership fails and the learnings that have come from that, um, the, the point keeps coming back to like how we lead ourselves is how we lead others. And we first need to, or in correlation, not necessarily first, but alongside, we really need to kind of embody ourselves and, and our own leadership styles in order to kind of influence and support those around us. Um, and so I think, yeah, the authenticity and intentionality really is what's resonated um, over these last couple of hours for me. And I guess going forward, if anybody would like to stay in touch, um, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. So I'm at Andrea Wall, like the wall in your living room, uh, coaches. And then you can also find me on my website. There's a contact form or just book a call. Honestly, my social media presence, I'm inconsistent as hell. It's uncomfortable. That's one of my learning areas. Um, but I do love connecting with anybody. So there's, there's room to send me a note or to book a call at w www.andreawallcoaches.com. Thank you again. Thank you so much for that. Of course, uh, all of this information will be available in the show notes. Up next is Mahatma. So I feel like my last, you know, like my ending statement um, was a big, the big thing that came forward was like just identifying more with imposter syndrome. Um, one of the things that came up from that is like being able to understand we don't have to like, I'm looking to see how to help people understand how we can help people more. And I'm starting to realize just this last couple of months is that I've been shying away from telling you the problem. And so being able to identify with the imposter syndrome and how to relieve that uh, was something that was very pivotal that I believe Hannah had mentioned about those internal auditing. You know, when we create internal auditing, we're going to be able to help really identify our imposter syndrome and understand like we like we're an embodiment of ourselves from the day before from the day before and so if we don't just stop and audit ourselves after a while you know we don't we won't know how far left we have gone because yesterday looked good to us and tomorrow looks even better but when we step back and just look at like okay how was the last 100 yesterday and how did that create a streamline of my intentionality? And is it ringing out through? So that's that's my takeaway um, for, for myself and for those that are listening. And if you're looking to get more deeper into a conversation with myself, Mahatma Starseed, you can definitely check me out. I'm on a slew of pat platforms, um, but you most easiest place is uh, Elite Motivation 411 on IG or YouTube. And I do do LinkedIn as well. So I will be sending out some LinkedIn requests. It's Mahatma Starseed, just like Mahatma Gandhi on LinkedIn. Mahatma Starseed. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course, all of this will be available in the show notes. And up next, we have Shane. I'm going to kind of like pivot a little bit because you did an amazing job on that. Um, but I want to define servant-based leadership. Um, Servant-based leadership is the, it's based on the idea that leaders are here to provide and prioritize the, the, the greater good. It is not telling people what to do. It's asking them, how can I help you do what you do? How can I give you the tools? How can I give you the resources? How can I serve you so that we meet the goals that we have all defined in our working towards. 
And that's a very important distinction when it comes to leadership because our society doesn't teach that. There's an imagery of what a leader is supposed to be as a CEO or or a manager of things of that nature. And it's always this domineering person who is leading from the front and and ordering about the people to go around like they are little soldiers. And that ignores the individuality of the people who are working for them. And so I just want to end this by really making sure that people understand that the status quo has to change. And if we don't start really focusing on making sure that our children understand this from an early age, then we're not going to see that change. We can individually do our parts, but the people who will truly make the change in our, in our world will be the children that we're raising up right now. And it's really important that people understand that. And I just want to close it out with a, a, a saying that just kind of rules my life. Um, John Wesley said this, do all of the good that you can by all of the means that you can in all of the ways that you can in all of the places that you can at all the times that you can to all the people that you can as long as you ever can. And if you can do that, it'll make true change in your lives. If anybody wants to find me, I'm at all of the social medias, including Mastodon at Creating Order from Chaos or Creating Order from Chaos Coaching. You can uh, also find me at my website, www.creatingorderfromchaos.com. And uh, if you ever see me on a public speaking, you'll be seeing me wearing the tie-dye polos because that's my individuality. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for that, Shane. Uh, I'm quite confident we were all scribbling down that quote as much as we can. Uh, it was quite powerful. Thanks. And Hannah, you're next. Thank you so much. Um, Shane, thank you for saying that because how can I serve you has actually been my leading question for my business and marketing activities, especially coming into this into this new year with the shit show that is going on globally, <laughs> if I may say. <laughs> so in fact, this has been um, my leading question. I truly believe that success is a journey and I know I should be crediting someone. I'm sure this is a quote someone said. <laughs> success it's all is good. It. Yeah, yeah. It's all of our journeys. <laughs> um and and that and that by by going with that and by approaching our life and business through that, then we really get to look at failures differently and What's been coming up through all of these conversations for me is the the way we look at failures, the way we have looked at cha approached challenges, the way we've come out the other side, right? And it's through the lessons, it's through the insights, through the wisdom and so the knowledge and the experience that we have gained through these challenges. And so for those of us and for those of you listening um, to this podcast who are in who are here to serve, who are here to guide, who are here to lead and coach or heal or teach or whatever, um, others, it's through these challenges, it's through these failures, it's through these fuck-ups that you get to hold that integrity and look someone in the eye and go, I know exactly where you've been, I know what you're dealing with, and I can truly tell you that because I have experienced it myself, and it's not something I'm learning from a book. <laughs> and for me, that holds so much power than anything else. So fail forward, change your approach, change the story about failure, because yes, like we, we, we feel scared to fail only because of the stories we attach to it and the shame we hold 
the shame we hold to that story. And so if we start to change those stories, we're going to start changing the reality. And in doing so, we can be more um, effective and impactful in our leadership. At least that's what I believe. And I believe that that's what's really happening in this space today with these conversations and stories that are being shared. So thank you so much, everyone, for sharing that. And if you would like to find me, um, you can find me on most socials. Luckily, um, there's only one of me so far. I haven't found another Hannah Cremona. So that's H-A-N-N-A-H at the end. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm also on Clubhouse. Actually, this is a new space that I've created called Conscious Leaders in Business. And I invite you to come and speak. I invite you to come and claim your space. I invite you to share your story, share your value. I'll be having weekly rooms at 10 a.m. Central European time. Later on, I'll be adding on a time that is more appropriate for our U.S. audience. Thank you for having me, Simon. Thank you so much, folks, for all of this. This has been fantastic. Uh, Really, we have had a marathon episode we've spoken a lot about many many important things and yet here we are we're finally somewhere i'll word that better i'm going to come back i don't want to say finally because not finally i want to say that here we are at the end of this particular episode but certainly not at the end of all the learning that we can keep doing as we're going forward folks this has been absolutely fantastic i cannot thank you enough for taking the time the significant amount of time this so close to the holidays to come and speak and and be brave, share your your failures and how we can all move use these to help ourselves and our organizations move forward. Thank you so much for all of this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on, Simon. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for doing this. This has been wonderful. Oh, I've I've really enjoyed this. Well, that's a wrap from the front. In this episode, we talked about what it means to fail. We talked about the power of failure and we talked about how failures can actually be our wins. And it's all about honesty, being our truest selves as the best that we can be. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, leadership without passion limits the depth of your vision. Never miss an episode by following us on all of your favorite feeds. While you're there, please consider leaving an episode review and let us know what topics you would like to hear about. Be sure to join us next week with your host, Simon Cardinal, for another episode of Trench Leadership, a podcast from the front. Produced by iGlen Studios, music provided by Ashamal of Music. So who's been enjoying the way these episodes are sounding? the fantastic quality that you're hearing. Well, that's very likely because I stopped doing all the editing myself and I did the smart thing and hired an editor. I hired Fina Charlson and she is fantastic. I mean, you can hear it in the work. Fina improves the quality of the shows and provides a strategy for long-term growth. She's been going out of her way to help me find different ways to help my show grow, not just from an actual editing standpoint, but from a general perspective. Fina has been helping me get so much back of my own time because I'm not producing the show anymore. That's all on her. (laughs) No pressure, Fina. And we're making this happen. But the content, the quality of the content is so much better. And I really believe that the, the flow of the show is making a big difference. And lastly, Fina refines the process and schedules different ways to make things consistent when we're releasing the episodes. She is a fantastic communicator and she has been very, very good at helping me make sure I'm staying ahead of the curve, ensuring that you folks get episodes 
every week the way it's meant to be. So if you want to know how that you can help with your podcast, just go on over and visit Fina at finacharlson.com. And that's F-I-N-A-C-H-R-L-E-S-O-N.com. Or you can connect with her on her LinkedIn. Anywho, folks, it's been a real pleasure and we'll take care. Bye.